Hey guys, welcome to the C1 Church Podcast. I pray that this message encourages you, builds your faith, and helps you go after Jesus. If you'd like more information about C1 Church, please go to our website at c1.church. Enjoy the message and be blessed. We're going to jump in this morning into our series. Nehemiah. We're in chapter 4, we're wrapping it up, and we're going to be talking about, we're going to wrap up shifts. Um, how there's shifts in this chapter. We hit on that last week, but but let's read the scripture. We, we're overlapping a verse because there's a shift and we need to see it. So it says, At last, the wall was completed to half its height around the entire city for the people have worked with enthusiasm. But when Sanballat and Tobiah and the Arabs, the Ammonites and the Ashadites heard that the work was going ahead, and that the gaps in the wall of Jerusalem were being repaired, they were furious. They all made plans to come and fight against Jerusalem and throw us into confusion. So I think it's interesting that they wanted to throw the enemy, they, they wanted to throw the Jews into confusion as they were building. Let's, let's remember that. But we prayed to our God and guarded the city day and night, to protect ourselves. Then the people of Judah begin to complain. The shift from enthusiasm to complaint. The workers are getting tired, and there is so much rubble to be moved. We will never be able to build the wall by ourselves. Meanwhile, our enemies were saying, before they know what's happening, we will swoop down on them and kill them and end their work. The Jews who lived near the enemy came and told us again and again, they will come from all directions and attack us. So I placed armed guards behind the lowest parts of the wall in the exposed areas. I stationed the people to stand guard by families armed with swords, spears, and bows. Then as I looked over the situation, I called together the nobles and the rest of the people and said to them, don't be afraid of the enemy. Some of us need to repeat Everyone look at your favorite neighbor and say, don't be afraid of the enemy. Now look at your second choice and tell them, don't be afraid of the enemy. Now everyone knows. Sorry, Ryan, your mom's second choice. Uh, in your face. I'm, I'm so, that, did I say that loud? Inside voice. Okay. Don't be afraid of the enemy. Remember the Lord who is great and glorious, and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. When our enemies heard that we knew of their plans and that God had frustrated them, so isn't it interesting? i, I got to stop for a second. The enemy wanted to attack the Jews, to throw the Jews into confusion, but guess what? God turned around and frustrated the enemy's plans. Isn't it that... That's so like God. When the enemy tries to work in our lives, God turns his intentions around and frustrates the enemy with the very thing that they're trying to do. So God frustrated them, and we all returned to our work on the wall. But from then on, only half my men worked, while the other half stood guard with spears, shields, bows, and coats of mail. They didn't have a bunch of like letters on them. It was like interlocking chains, just FYI. 
the leaders stationed themselves behind the people of Judah who were building the wall. The laborers carried on their work with one hand supporting their load and the other holding a weapon. All the builders had a sword built it to their side and the trumpeters stayed with me to sound the alarm. Then, then I explained to the nobles and the officials and all the people, the work is very spread out and we are widely separated from each other along the wall. When you hear the blast of the trumpet, rush to wherever it is sounding. Then our God will fight for us. Our God will fight for us. Let's keep going. We worked early and late, from sunrise to sunset, and half the men were always on guard. I also told them, everyone living outside the walls, to stay in Jerusalem. That way, they and their servants could help with the guard duty at night and working during the day. During this time, none of us, not I, nor my relatives, nor my servants, nor the guards who were with me, ever took off our clothes. We carried our weapon with us at all times, even when we went for water. Father, I pray right now that as we dive into your word, that you will open us up, that you will move in our hearts, that you'll move in our minds, that you will help us to walk out of here changed by who you are. Let us walk out reflecting who you are. Let us walk out, Lord, more like who you are and less like who we were when we walked in. I pray right now that you open us up and do surgery as, as we dive in. In your name, Jesus, I pray. Amen. So there are some shifts going on in this passage. And last week we talked about um, the shift from what, what is to what was, from what was to what could be. And we, we're going to hit on one shift. We're going to hit on three shifts. But the, the big thing I want to hit on today is a shift of expectation. And this is a big one. Because what do we do in our life? when expectation and reality don't align. This is something we all deal with. This is something that every one of us deals with every day. We have expectations of where our life should be by this point in our life. Like some of us are a certain age and we're like, we should be here, but we're here. Or um, I should have this many kids and I don't. I, I want four kids, and Amy's saying, no, I mean, <laughs> expectations and reality. We all have expectations in life. What happens when our expectations and our reality are in conflict? Sometimes we get disillusioned with God. This happens a lot. The enemy steps in and says, God's not hearing your prayers. Uh... God hasn't been blessing you. He's not moving in your life. He, he steps in and does this. What do we do when they don't align? Because I guarantee you, some of us have all faced disappointment of our expectations not being met. I guarantee you. That our reality is different than we thought it would be at this point. Some of us can look back and think about dreams that we had as children, and some of us thought, yeah, I was going to be the first man on Mars. And you're not. 
What do we do? What do we do? The Jews here, it's kind of interesting because they weathered, they could weather the insults. If you remember from the first half of the chapter, the first six verses that um, Tobiah and Sam Ballot, they were just blasting them with insults and lies. It's one thing to be insulted. We learned last week there's a difference between being insulted and offended. They, were, they, they weathered the insults. They weathered them. They're like, whatever, you can say what you want about me, but I'm walking in obedience. I'm doing what God told me to do, and I'm just going to keep trucking along. You can insult me all day long, but I'm not going to be offended. I'm going to be mature. I'm going to move on. They weathered that. They weathered the lies. Tobiah is like, dude, even if a fox walks on that wall, it's going to crumble. They, they weathered the lies about the work that they were doing for God. They weathered the lies. But it's another thing entirely when the reality shifts. It's another thing to go from insults and lies to threats. Suddenly, the enemy took it up a notch. So they went from saying, like, what are you poor, feeble people going to do? How are you going to build a wall from these burnt stones? Insulting them. But suddenly they're going to be like, we're going to swoop in and kill all of you. And we're going to massacre your families. That's a little, uh, that's a little disheartening. That's not something you want to hear every day or ever. That's not something that, that, that you want to weather. Like, oh, it'll be fine. They don't really mean it. No, they have an army. They, have, they, they don't like us. They clearly stated that they hate us. And they had the means to fulfill this promise. The reality shifted. Here they are. They're walking in obedience to God. They're walking in obedience to God. They are fulfilling the purpose and the plan of God on their life. They are doing what God has for them. And suddenly, the reality is not what they expect. So often we think that when we walk with God, that the will of God is fluffy, it is fun, it is neat, it's cushy, and everything's going to work out. One of those is true. Everything's going to work out. But the will of God Is so often different than what we expect. We try to figure out God's will and then we put this expectation on this is what it is for us. And then when it's not that for us, we get irritated, we get disappointed, or we might get disillusioned. These people went from enthusiasm they completed half the wall to its height around the entire city with enthusiasm. And then three verses later, it's saying they're complaining and they're going to attack us and, and we can't do this. What shifted? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to suggest that their expectation and their reality shifted. Because here they are trying to do what God told them to do. And it's not lining up with what they thought God, I'm doing what you told me to do, but here they are threatening my family. 
Here they are threatening my household. Here they are, they're going to swoop down and kill us from all directions. They're telling us that they're going to do this. This is not, I'm not making this up, God. What do we do with this? I want to talk to you for a moment about the promises of Jesus that no one wants to talk about. We always want to talk about the good promises. I'm with you always, even to the ends of the earth. And, and how he's our provider and how he's our healer. And all these are true. I'm not lessening those. I just want to bring to our attention some other promises he made that might give clarity to his will. So one of the things he told his disciples, he said, no teacher is greater, no, no, no student's greater than his teacher. If they hated me, they will hate you also. Woo! Glory to God. No, no one amen on that. Come on. What else did he say? He said, in this world you will have trouble. We like the second part of this. But take heart, I've overcome the world. Where We pray, Lord, you overcame the world and, and all this stuff. But how often do we pray, Lord, you said in this world we will have trouble. Thank you, Lord, for the trouble that has beset my life because I'm walking in your promises. No one wants to talk about these promises. No one wants to talk about the reality that Jesus said that we will have trouble, that people will hate us. And so often we, we, take, and, we take and get in our Americanism, and we put our nationality, and we put our, our citizenship of this country, and we, we think this right of freedom of worship, so when we get persecuted, we're like, I can't believe I'm getting persecuted. I can't believe that they're trying to take away my rights. But may I suggest to you, maybe, just maybe, that the church is designed to, to flourish under persecution. And that our true citizenship is in heaven. Not here. And I'm not saying that we don't, like, go vote or anything like that. I'm not saying that we don't be patriotic, but just remember where our true citizenship lies first. It's with Jesus in heaven, so we let that dictate. But when we understand, when we understand the promises of God, then we can understand what James, Jesus' little brother, said in chapter 1 of his book, verses 2 and 3. He says, consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds because the testing of your faith will develop perseverance. And when, per when perseverance has finished its work, it will make you whole and complete, not lacking anything. So God wants to develop in us something, but he tells us to have joy in the trial. So what if I suggested to you something that might revolutionize the way you look at your expectation and your reality. Because what do we do when expectation doesn't match reality? I would recommend that we reconcile it. We reckon it. We make it come into a line. Because what if, if you're going after Jesus and you're saying, God, I want to serve you with your, my whole heart. I want to walk in your will what if what you're going through right now is his will? 
What if the trial is your blessing? Well, that doesn't seem encouraging. I heard this week, and it's too good not to share, but a pastor used this reference. He said, what if you walked around with a, with a bag of bows, and when your reality and that trial that you're going through doesn't line up with what you're going, what, what, what you think you should go through, what if you took and put a bow on it? Put a bow on that boss. Just walk up. Just get one of those self-adhesive bows and just put a bow and say, you know what? You're my gift. You're a gift from God to help me develop perseverance. You're a gift from God to help me develop my character like Christ. You're a gift from God. You're the blessing that God's giving me right now to make me more like who Jesus is. What if we took and put a bow on those trials and we started looking at them as gifts? What if we started looking at the, the, the discrepancies between expectation and reality and start looking at life as gifts? Because the reality of what the Jews were going through, it seemed bad. They were being threatened. They were being, um, like they were, they were going to be annihilated. But what if we looked at this as a gift because it prepared them to be ready for it. They didn't stop because the ultimately, ultimately our enemy wants to stop God's work in our life and wants to stop God working through us. He was trying to get them to stop from building the wall. That was their purpose. So he says, look, you're getting threatened, but you're following God. So maybe you're not following God because God's will is supposed to be good. It's supposed to be fine. It's supposed to be fine and dandy. He wants to stop God using you to do things. And so if we take and say, you know what? I'm not going to let this stop me. I'm going to let this prepare me. And so I'm going to put a bow on it. I'm going to say this is a gift from God to help me be like Jesus. They weathered the insults. They weathered the lies. It's kind of interesting that they didn't even take any, any notice of the lies that were thrown at them. <laughs> you know why? It's because they knew the truth. When you know the truth, lies that people say about you don't bother you as much. Have you ever noticed that? When someone lies to you about something, it doesn't bother you as much when you know the truth. The other day, <laughs> my family were in Ted's down, downtown, and... Um, I like to go in there all the time because I love guns and bullets and everything manly. And I feel like when I'm low on testosterone, I can just go in there and stand by their guns and it just increases in my life. And, uh, but we're in there and I was walking around with my son or my daughter. No, it was Sky. I was holding Sky and I was showing, I was showing um, her the different animals because there's mounts on the wall in there. They have moose, they have elk, they have reindeer, and they have this little thing called a jackalope. How many of you guys know what a jackalope is? It's like a jackrabbit that has horns on it. So I was telling my daughter about how these are all over Yellowstone and the, and the Great Plains and how they have them in Arkansas. And they're really rare to see. You only see them in certain conditions and everything like this. And she's like, really? And she's just, just eating it. I'm just lying out my teeth to my daughter, okay? Um, but she's just, 
She's just buying this whole thing. And then God. You know when God gives you a gift and it's the most beautiful thing in the world and you know it's a gift from God. God gave me one of those gifts. Amy walked up and said, oh, I didn't know those were real. <laughs> and I about cried. It's like, God, you're so faithful. Thank you so much for giving me this moment. So I started telling her, I'm like, oh yeah, they're all over Yellowstone and the conditions have to be right for them to really come out. And then a guy walking through the store just jumped in on it. And he's like, oh yeah, me and my dad used to hunt those up in Wyoming, all this stuff. And he's like, really? I've never, I was like, well, I, you probably wouldn't have seen them. You grew up in Ohio. They're not really, it's more of a mid, like a Great Plains and a Southern thing. And finally I said, yeah, the conditions are like restaurants and lodges. That's the only places you see them because they're not real. <laughs> and yeah, I got hit. I, I, I came clean. I, I say that, but when you know the truth, you don't believe the lie. They didn't let the, they didn't let the lies bother them. They let their expectations shift them. They almost let their expectations keep them from fulfilling the will of God in their life because their expectations and reality were in conflict. What would happen if we looked at every trial that we went through with joy? You know what that would do to the people around you at your job, in your neighborhood, in your family? when they see you going through something horrible, but you have joy like crazy, and they're like, what in the world is up with you? And you're like, man, God's got me in this. I'm going to just consider it pure joy. And the cool thing about perseverance is one of my favorite words. is It means to keep at something in spite of difficulty, hardship, failure, opposition. What does the world want us to do? It wants us to give up. But God wants us to persevere. And he wants us to have joy while we're persevering. A lot of times when we face trial, we're like, oh, I can't believe we're going through this. I'm going to keep serving God, but I'm just, no, that's not how, that's not the biblical approach to persevering or going through trial. It's, you know what, God is with me in this. He'll never leave me nor forsake me. He's with me always. So I'm going to just keep going through this because if God's got me going through what I'm going through. That means God's working in me. That means he's transforming me. And I'm going to let God develop in me something that only he can get glory from. You know what would happen to those lost relatives when they see you have joy in a tragedy? Know what would happen to those, that boss when, you, when they know they're mistreating you? Because you know, people that mistreat you, that are over you, know they mistreat you. I mean, it's like they're not fooling anyone. And everyone else knows it too. And, and that's the cool thing about it. If you have joy through it, you say, you know what, I'm going to keep serving God, I'm going to keep praying for him, and I'm going to keep going after Jesus. And they're going to be like, no matter what I do, nothing is hitting them. I can't get them off their game. I can't stop them. I can't keep them from serving, and I can't keep them from going after God, whatever. It throws the enemy for a loop. It throws our coworkers for a loop. It throws our, our family for a loop. When we serve God with joy through trial, so we reconcile our expectation to our reality, the shift of expectation. 
Second shift is a shift of fear to faith. This is a big one because all of us, I, I would almost say that the number one thing that Christians deal with more than anything else, there's a lot of different stuff, but I would almost say it's fear. There's fear of what would happen if I did this. There's fear of sharing your faith. There's, there's, there's fear of what will people think. Fear controls our lives. And God doesn't want us to be governed by fear. Paul tells Timothy, he says, God doesn't give you the spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. So if God doesn't give us fear, there's only one other source that it can come from. And if I were to say that we're all letting a demonic spirit control our lives, we would all disagree with me. But the reality is, when we let fear dictate our actions, we are letting a demonic spirit control our lives. Whether you agree with me or not, when you know the truth, you know the truth. But we all deal with fear. God says, I give you power, love, and a sound mind. These people were dealing with fear. They weathered the insults, they weathered the lies, but now they have fear. They're going to swoop down and kill me from all directions. We're not safe. I'm gonna, I want to talk to you a moment and see if I can help recognize some fear in your life. So let's see if we can pinpoint some characteristics and some ways that fear might disguise itself. Fear will get us to do things that God never asks us to do, but we think we should. Let me repeat that. Fear will get us to do things that God never asked us to, but we think we should. What do I mean? Well, what if you bump into someone and they're just having a bad day, but you don't know they're having a bad day, and, and they say something to you, and it's just like, it hurt you. And so suddenly, you have this fear in your mind that they don't like you. Like, man, they don't like me. They don't care for me. So fear will get you to do two things there. Fear will always get you to fight or flight. So I, I think that for my personality type, I would try to be overly nice to them to get them to like me because I think they don't like me. But some of us might be like, I will never talk to them again. If they don't like me, they're dead to me. I'm not going to do anything. But the reality is that person was just having a bad day. Maybe they... Maybe they lost a loved one. You don't know their backstory. Maybe they just really stubbed their toe that morning and it's hurting every time they step. You know, you don't know what's going on in their life, but, but that one moment planted fear, and the fear's telling you a lie, and then you're acting out on that fear, saying, you know what, I'm going to take, and I'm either going to be overly nice to them or I'm going to avoid them at all costs. It's causing you to do something that God never told you to do. It's causing you to act a way that God doesn't want you to act. And the reality is, just let it go. My dad used to tell me something, and I never got it because he never explained it to me until I learned. So dads, if you have a little boy, explain your little manisms. Because dad, I never got this until like 10 years ago. He said, let it roll off of you like water off a duck's back. I'm like, what does that mean? Don't let it stick. 
Sometimes we just got to let things roll off of us. But fear doesn't let things roll off of us. It makes it stick. I'm not saying go get greasy like a duck, but I am saying let things roll off. The second characteristic of fear, fear is not from God. If we're all, I guarantee you, if I asked every one of us in here, what's your number one goal in life? I'd, I'd venture to say it would be some variation of this. I want to go after Jesus. Because I, I believe that's your heart. You want to go after Jesus. You want to live out God's will. But when we act out of fear or don't act because of fear, we're acting out of disobedience to God. Because fear is not from God. Fear robs us of the peace of God. And this goes with the next one. Fear always runs to worst case scenario. So, if you don't believe me that fear runs to worst case, there is no intermediate with fear. Fear will automatically run to the worst thing possible in your mind. And I didn't realize how true this is until I had children. And with the advent of the internet, my son coughs. I'm Googling what could cause a baby to cough. You know, like, oh, oh my goodness. I'm like, or, or like, it wasn't so much with my son. You know, obviously, second born, they can just survive. But first born kids, it's, it's, uh, I remember one time Sky was like two weeks old. And she woke up in the middle of the night, and like babies do, and she makes this, you like, we're like, she's a velociraptor. Hurry, lock the doors. Like, all the worst-case scenarios from Jurassic Park were running through my mind. I'm like, doors, they can open them. Like, you know, like. And so we actually called the hospital in the middle of the night. And they transferred us to our doctor in the middle of the night. And I remember Dr. Eldenberg answering the phone like, Hello? You know, like, he, he just, he was having an amazing dream, and he was so out of it. And we're like, doctor, our daughter's sounding like a dinosaur that's been extinct for thousands of years. And he's like, okay, babies make weird sounds. Just, bye. And, like, it, that, that was it. And it was, but worst case scenario, you see here, that the children of Israel, the Jews that are building the wall, they hear the threats, but and, and the, the enemy said we'll swoop in, but suddenly they're 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 adding to it. They're gonna attack us from all sides, God. Nothing's safe. They're gonna kill us. They're gonna they're they're worst case scenarioing it. And that's what fear does in your life. That's what fear does in our life. And when we when we when we let this like we can't help but have these thoughts. We're we're human. But if we let them take charge over our mind for too long, then suddenly we're going to be living out, we're going to be reacting to the fear instead of faith. The reality is God wanted the wall built, so the wall was going to be built. If God wanted the wall built, nothing on earth or in hell could stop it. If God wants you at that job, if God wants you to do that thing that he asked you to do, then nothing can stop it from happening. So all we have to do is walk in faith and quit giving voice to fear. How do we battle fear? 
I think that Romans, Ephesians, and 2 Corinthians, Paul hits on it very well. He tells us in Romans to renew our mind. Don't let the enemy control your mind because that's where fear likes to fester and build and we think about things. We think about worst case scenario. Ephesians says we put on the full armor of God with the helmet of salvation. Ephesians also tells us to think on things above. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul turns around and just hammers it home. He says, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they have divine power to tear down strongholds. So we take captive every thought and pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. So those thoughts that are in your head, I, I, would, I would venture to say that if you dwelt on fear too long or worst case scenario too long, you, you might be dealing with the stronghold. But good news, God has weapons specifically designed to tear down strongholds in your life. So if you're dealing with fear, it's time to lay your fear down because it's robbing you of your peace. It's robbing, you, you might be saying, why do I have such anxiety? Why do I have depression? Why, why, why? Because you're listening to the wrong voices in your head. You got to start listening to the Lord operating in faith. If God wants me to do this, then I'll do it. I'm, it, it, the reality is, when you step back, and we got to take a look at what Nehemiah did here. It says that he stepped back and looked over the situation. He prayed, and then he issued guards, but later it says, Then I looked over the situation, and I called together the nobles and the rest of the people and said to them, Don't be afraid of the enemy. Power, love, and a sound mind. You can't look over a situation if your mind is controlled by fear. But if you have a sound mind, you collect yourself and you say, I'm going to look over this. What's the reality of what's going on here? The reality of my daughter sounding like a dinosaur was she was two weeks old and babies make weird noises. My son runs all over the house growling. He just growls. So I growl back at him. He makes weird sounds. It's just the reality. I'm not calling the doctor because I stepped back and said, you know what, he's just playing. I'm not going to say, oh no. There's something caught in his throat. He can't breathe properly. No, he just runs around. You know, like that's what he does. That's what he does. We got to quit letting fear control ourselves. We got to quit giving fear. Fear has dictated too many lives of Christians. Fear has dictated and got too many Christians off the will of God. Fear has kept, it, it, fear freezes you. It stops you dead in your tracks. It will keep you from doing what God has for you. And guess what? Your blessing is wrapped up in what God has for you. There might be trials. There might be tribulations. But the blessing and growth is what, in what God has for you. But fear will keep you from that. I've been... I've been to the Rocky Mountains. I have not yet been to the Appalachian Mountains. That's bucket list item this year. I want to go see them. But I've noticed something about the Rocky Mountains. They're high enough to where there's actually a tree line. There's not, nothing really growing on top of the Rockies. 
Every, all these Christians, we want this experience. We, we call it mountaintop experiences. And the best I can understand where we get that from is when Elijah called down fire from heaven on Mount Carmel, and it was a, a mighty move of God, and it was awesome, and it consumed the sacrifice, the altar, and looked up all the water that he poured. And it was an amazing thing. The whole nation repented. We want those experiences. But the reality is, he didn't grow there. Know where he grew? Under the broom bush, in the middle of the wilderness, by himself, next to a stream. No one wants to go through a valley in life. It's a lull. But guess what's at the bottom of the valley? Water. Life. We've got to shift our expectation and we got to go after God, and we got to walk by faith through the valley because fear will keep you from learning your lesson. Fear will keep you from doing what God has you to do. And the last shift we're going to talk about today is a shift from faith to action. What if I told you that your faith wasn't enough? Now, I'm not talking about saving faith because that is enough. The action that was required for our salvation, Jesus did. So faith always has the action with it. But what God asks us to do is to put our faith in Christ. We do that by saying, Jesus, I'm a sinner. Forgive me of my sins. I believe that you died on the cross and that you rose again. And if we believe that, we confess with our mouth, believe in our hearts, then we are saved. But Jesus did the action to accompany that faith. But James turns around and he says something. Our buddy James and it's very powerful. He says, faith, if not accompanied by action, is dead. Or faith, if not accompanied by good deeds, is dead. He was addressing a church in Jerusalem that was saying they have faith, but they weren't doing anything with it. The reality is, if you have faith in God, you're not saved by good deeds, but good deeds should flow out of your relationship with God. When you come to faith in Jesus Christ, the good deeds of that relationship should overflow. There should be fruit. The, the Bible says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Let me tell you, if you're not displaying these fruit, then there's probably not a root because um, this is kind of a litmus test of your faith. If your faith is in Christ and the Holy Spirit's working in you, you will display the fruit of the Spirit. That's the reality of it. He, uh, Paul says and. The Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in you. That's what the Bible says. So, there has to be action. There has to be overflow. Not to get closer to God. Not to earn our way to heaven. Not anything. But there has to be action. You notice that Nehemiah prayed. And then he stationed guards. Well, then he turns around and says, at the end of the chapter, God will fight for us, but yet he tells them to rush into battle. Where is the balance? Where is the faith? If, if God's going to fight for us, then why do we have to fight? And then right before he says God will fight for us, he tells us to fight for our wives, our sons, our daughters, and our homes. So often we have this conception, expectation, that if we just have faith that God will do something, we don't have to do anything. Faith isn't doing nothing while believing God will bring success. 
success. Faith is us acting in obedience, knowing God will not let us fail. A couple weeks ago, we referenced David in 1 Samuel 19. He's fighting Goliath. But I want to read a portion that we didn't hit. And I think it's so important for us to understand this. If I could find it. It says, All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or by spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's. So David had complete faith that the battle was the Lord's. And he will give all of you into our hands. As the Philistine moved closer to attack him, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet him. Reaching into his bag and taking out a stone, he slung it and struck the Philistine on the forehead. The stone sank into his forehead, and he fell forward, face down on the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. Without a sword in his hand, he struck down the Philistine and killed him. Notice that David had complete faith that God was going to bring success, but he still had to rush into battle. Nehemiah had complete faith that God would fight for him, but he still armed people. Maybe we should shift our fear to faith and our faith to action, and maybe we should start saying, you know what, faith isn't not doing anything. But faith is believing God won't let me fail at this. David did not, like, I want us to understand this. David didn't know whether he was going to get injured running into battle. He didn't, he didn't say that. He said the battle's the Lord's. The cool thing about it is he didn't get injured. There's no guarantee that your faith is going to keep you safe. There's a guarantee that your faith won't let you fail. So we need to take and put action to our faith and believe that God is going to move when we obey. Some of us need to shift out of fear. Some of us need to reconcile our expectations to our reality and say, you know what, where's the blessing in what I'm going through? Where's the blessing in this trial? Where's the joy? Because the Lord wants you to operate in joy. The joy of the Lord is our strength. And if the, if the enemy can rob us of that joy, he's got us. Where's our action to our faith? 